Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. I want to take just a moment and tell you how thankful that I am that you're a part of our listening audience, how much of a joy it is for us to bring these messages to you each and every week. And I have a request. If Words of Grace is a blessing to you in your life, I'm always so very thankful to hear from those who listen. So if you would, take a moment of time throughout your busy week this week to drop us a note in one form or another and let us know that you listen. If you're one who likes to write letters the old-fashioned way, I love receiving letters from listeners. You can address one to 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Our broadcast today is entitled, How is Jesus the Only Begotten? Just as an introduction, I recently saw a blog entry by a seminary Greek professor 
asserting that the phrase, only begotten Son, as is found in many, many English Bibles, was a sort of mistranslation. Of course, this was followed by the usual blame the KJV route that a lot of people take, despite the fact that many other translations of the Bible translate it the same way. Those that predated the KJV, such as the Tyndale, the Bishops, and the Geneva, as well as English translations of the Bible after the KJV, translating the Greek behind the phrase only begotten as only begotten son. In fact, most English Bibles up until the last two decades have translated the Greek behind that phrase as just that, God's only begotten son. So if that was the case throughout basically church history among English-speaking people, why the sudden change and the sudden push to translate the Greek into something other than only begotten Son. Before I give you some thoughts on God's only begotten Son, and we have three points that I want to give you about that phrase, what it teaches us, and why it's the proper term, I want to do a little bit of A to Z for you and discover, connect the dots, and discover why some people are desiring to change this long-standing and accepted translation of a Greek phrase about Christ into only begotten. To put it briefly, modern translations of the Bible into English rely on a family of manuscripts that were rejected by theologians and Bible translators throughout the recent centuries of church history. And they prefer the critical text, as it's come to be called, over what we refer to as the received text, or the Textus Receptus. If you weren't aware, there are different strands of manuscript families that you could rely on to translate the Bible into any language. Most American Bible translators today rely on the critical text family, a family of manuscripts that is full of contradictions one between another. In fact, the two most relied upon texts would be the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. Those two manuscripts disagree with each other in 3,000 places in the four Gospels alone, and so they're full of errors and omissions and typos and giant blank spaces and things such as that. And in my opinion, and in the opinion of many, many bedrock theologians through Christian history, we simply can't trust those manuscripts to be used. But for some reason, those are the manuscripts that modern Bible translators want to use, and it's the family of manuscripts that most celebrity preachers in our day rely on. It's the family of manuscripts most seminary professors endorse. So why the problem with this phrase only begotten son. The problem actually finds itself with the word only begotten, which in the Greek language is monoyenes, and so monoyenes eos would be the words only begotten son. Monoyenes means only begotten. In the book of John chapter 1 and verse 18, there's actually a passage that a textual variant exists for. And, as you read it in our KJVs, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That phrase, only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, in this textual variant that sound preachers have rejected throughout Christian history, doesn't read only begotten Son, monoyenes eos, but it actually reads only begotten God, which is monoyenes theos. Well, that's obviously problematic to have a begotten God. Now, as a Textus Receptus user and a KJV user, that's no problem to me at all, because the Textus Receptus uses the majority 
reading on that passage. Only a very small minority of Greek manuscripts have that corrupted variant, a variant that could have been simply a typo, as the word for God and the word for son share some similarities in the original language. It could have been an early error. Someone could have written only begotten of God there in a copy of a Greek manuscript, and then someone goes to copy that and leaves out the word of. Or it could be something more nefarious. It could be an alteration made intentionally by a Christ-denying Gnostic or Arian. We simply don't know, but what we do know is that that particular variant is not in the received text. The text that we've come to receive is the canon, and so we reject that reading. Now, why would that statement, the only begotten God, be problematic? While Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, Jesus is not a begotten God. God is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And Jesus is God's only begotten Son, which we'll explain in a minute. But God wasn't begotten in the sense that he came into being, nor was Christ begotten in the sense that he came into being either as God's Son or as a new deity. No gods are before our God, no God is after our God, and Jesus is eternally the Son of God. He is one with the Father, and to be one with the Father means that he is of the same substance and he is of the same nature with God. God the Father and God the Son are of the same substance. Christ is then eternally begotten of his Father. So that textual variant for John 1.18 is a very, very troubling variant. Since modern Bible translators and seminary professors and celebrity preachers all use the critical text full of its errors and mistakes and contradictions, since they choose the critical text over the received text, they have a great problem when it comes to John chapter 1 and verse 18, because if they use their preferred family of manuscripts, their text that they have compiled from all of these resources, they have a begotten God. So what they want to do here— they want to redefine this word monoyenes as something other than being only begotten. Because if they redefine monoyenes, then suddenly they don't have an only begotten God. They can change the definition of that word to something else. How is it that they want to redefine that word? More times than not, proponents of the critical text cry mistranslation, and they opt for in English, the language one and only or unique. And so as they see monoyenes eos, they would say God's one and only son instead of God's only begotten son. Now, as we'll see in just a moment, the word only begotten, monoyenes, it undeniably means only begotten. And the last thing that we'll do today is look at a defense of that term, simply reading the book of Matthew chapter 1 with the word generation and beget as it occurs in Greek, we find several different words that are cognate with this word monogenes, and they all have to do with begetting and with generation and having children. It's absolutely undeniable that this word means what everyone in Christian history took it to mean, but because, again, of modern translators and seminary professors' affection for the critical text. They've made their allegiance to that text. They have to come up with other ways to make up for its deficiencies. One, being in John one eighteen, they have to redefine this word only begotten, because to let it stand as it is in their variant 
would actually be heretical as it pertains to Christology and the doctrine even of the Trinity. Now, there are three things that I want to share with you today about the phrase, only begotten. First of all, we want to look at the term itself, where we find this term in Scripture. Number two, we want to look at what this phrase, only begotten, teaches us. What does it communicate to God's people? And number three, we want to defend the term from the Word of God and also from church history. The term only begotten translates from a couple of different Greek words. Sometimes these Greek words have different words in between them in the phrase or the clause, because that's just the nature of the Greek language. But only begotten, as we said a moment ago, comes from a Greek word, monoyenes, monoyenes. And this is a compound word, the prefix mono, meaning only, and then yenes, meaning begotten. And then Eos, which is the word for son. So, monogenes eos, only begotten son. Variations of this term in the original language and in our English Bibles, because you don't need to know Greek to understand and read what God has said to you. You can pick up a faithful English translation, and you can know, as we'll demonstrate very clearly, what God has said to you. But variations of this exist in John chapter 1 and verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Did you catch that? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I might add, a point that we'll come back to in a moment, the word that was made flesh, well, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If you know me and you've listened to Words of Grace for any period of time or you've listened to our preaching at Flint River Church, you know that Christology and the Triunity is one of my favorite subjects to preach in the entire Word of God. I love to speak on the deity and the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and John 1 is one of my favorite passages to go to. But notice that this Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, he was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John chapter 1 and verse 18, the verse that we mentioned earlier as it related to a textual variant, a corruption that reads, the only begotten God instead of the only begotten Son. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Another passage in which we read this term is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Great statement of assurance to those that know the Lord. In this passage, God gave his only begotten Son. John 3 and verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What does that passage say? That he is the only begotten Son of God. One final passage in John's writings where we read this term, only begotten Son, is found in the book of 1 John, chapter 4 and verse 9. Not the book of John, but the book of 1 John, his epistle near the end of your New Testament, his first epistle. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son in the world, into the world, that we might live through him. 
God has manifested his love towards us because he sent his what? His only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, notice he sent his only begotten son into the world. As we think about biblical Christology in just a moment, we'll see that Christ did not become the Son of God at his incarnation, but rather God sent his only begotten Son. He was the only begotten Son of God prior to his incarnation. Obviously, this phrase, only begotten Son, is an important part, a major part of John's teaching and also his vocabulary, because I just gave you every time in the Bible that Jesus is referred to as the only begotten Son of God— And you notice that I was quoting exclusively from John's writings. There's one reference to Isaac as the only begotten son of Abraham in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. He's the only begotten son of Abraham, Isaac is, not in the sense that Abraham only had one biological offspring, for he had several. He had one with the handmaiden prior to Isaac's birth. That young lad's name was Ishmael. And then he had children with his concubines after the death of Sarah. But Isaac, as Hebrews eleven seventeen says, is the only begotten son of Abraham. Now, if Abraham had other children, why is Isaac referred to as his only begotten? This hails back to the life of Abraham, where God calls him his one and only son. In other words, his only begotten son, the only son that he has. And this was after Ishmael was born. So what are we to make of that? Well, Isaac is the only son, according to promise. Isaac is Abraham's promised seed, his child of promise, according to Paul in the book of Romans. Isaac is also his only begotten child with Sarah, who was the wife that he was to have children with, the woman whose name was changed from barren to reflect that she would be a mother of multitudes and a mother of nations. And so Isaac is Abraham's only begotten son with the wife he was supposed to have children with, the only woman he was supposed to have children with. Which brings us to point number three. Isaac is the only begotten son of Abraham in that he's Abraham's only legal son and his only legal heir. Ishmael was not a legal heir to Abraham's inheritance, nor were the sons that Abraham had with his concubines, because he was not legally wed to them. They were his concubines. And so their offspring, though they were Abraham's seed in the sense that they were his offspring, they came from him. They were not his legal heirs or his legal sons. That's difficult for us to understand in our present day and age because we're so far separated from life as it was at that time period. But that was certainly a a real thing in the world in that day. This is why birthrights and blessings and things such as that were so important. But those are the places where this phrase, only begotten, occur. Now, on to the teaching. What does only begotten communicate to God's people? The phrase, only begotten Son, communicates the divinity and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how could we say that the only begotten Son, that Christ being the Son of God, is a statement that conveys deity? Notice this in the book of John chapter 10. Jesus said in verse 30, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus sees this and he says, many good works have I showed you for my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answer, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. 
these Jews understood that to say he is the Son of God, that he is deity. Why? Because the Son is of the same substance as his Father. And so for one to be the Son of God, in this sense, as they understood it, Jesus is claiming to be deity and divinity. And so this phrase, the only begotten Son of God, teaches us that Christ is divine. He and his Father are one. That statement, I and my Father are one, was a claim to divinity. And so Father and Son share this same nature. The Son is of the same essence, the same substance, the same nature of the Father. To help us get a grasp on the statement, the only begotten, and how that relates to Christ's deity and divinity, it's actually helpful to turn back to an ancient creed from the 4th century, the Nicene Creed. Now, this was a council of preachers in response to a heresy known as Arianism. But the language on this point I find to be very helpful in understanding how we're to understand and interpret that phrase, only begotten Son. The Nicene Creed says on this point that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Now, This asserts that Jesus is of the same essence of the Father, meaning eternal. He's light of light. Notice this, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Now, the Arians said that Jesus was made. But this phrase here, begotten, not made, means that they understood the only begotten Son language in John's writings to teach that Christ is eternally begotten of the Father. Their Father-Son relationship is one that is eternal. And as such, Jesus shares the same essence and substance and nature as his Father, because he's his Father's Son, he's the eternal Son of God, he is God, he is divine, he is deity. Now, I personally used to be uncomfortable with that language from the Nicene Creed, because I simply didn't understand it. What they're communicating is the Son is eternally begotten. There is always this Father-Son dynamic within the Godhead. God the Father is eternally God the Father, God the Son is eternally God the Son, and God the Spirit is eternally God the Spirit. Now, just to remind you, the Word of John 1 is the same as the only begotten of John 1, and the Word was God. He was with God, He was God, He was with God, and He created all things that were created. Now, this destroys Arianism, this language in John and this language in the Nicene Creed, Again, my sons are begotten of me. They share my nature. They are literally me multiplied. Christ is the only begotten of the Father. He shares God's nature, which is, by definition, eternal. God is eternal. And so the Son of God is eternally God the Son. The Son of God is God the Son. Now, you might be scratching your head saying, Pastor, that's confusing. That is hard to understand. Yes, it is. We are mortal. It is impossible for us to comprehend God. It is impossible for us to comprehend the triunity, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And while that is impossible for us to understand it, we believe it, we accept it by faith, and we understand that God is so great, His ways are above our ways, that we simply can't understand the inner workings of the Trinity. But we do know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-eternal and co-equal, though the Son is eternally begotten of the Father and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, as we read in the Upper Room Discourse in the book of John. 
Now, lastly, on words of grace today, we've given you why this is important. We've looked at the phrase only begotten. We've looked at what the phrase the only begotten son teaches us. Now let's defend the term in brief before we bring our broadcast to a close. First of all, this is simply how every language, every translation of John or the Nicene Creed handled the word monogenes. Again, the Greek word for only begotten, the Greek word that comes into our language as only begotten. Also, all theologians of history who were not heretics and every English Bible until the last two decades handled that word, monogenes, that way. You find it in Tyndale, you find it in the Bishop's Bible, you find it in the Geneva Bible, and obviously here in the KJV as it rests in my lap as I record today's radio broadcast. You found the term only begotten son all the way up until the last two decades. Clearly, this is what everyone understood this word to mean until our modern times. Number two, in defending this term, we can defend it through the lens of history, what people wrote about it, how they understood it. Again, the Nicene Creed clearly understood the word to have reference to Christ being eternally begotten by the Father, as did the updated version of that that followed in 381 at the First Council of Constantinople, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of gods, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Aside from that line of defense for this term, the yenis in monoyenis is clearly a birth term. For instance, it's cognate with some words that we use in English all the time. If you talk about genes and gene therapy, guess where that word gene comes from? It's cognate with the yenis in monoyenis, gene. Generation is cognate with that word. Genealogy is cognate with that word. Genesis is cognate with that word and many other words that have to do with conceiving and birthing children. But you can actually turn to the Bible itself in Greek and read several other variations of this word, words that are related to this word, and it is absolutely undeniable that derivatives of that word obviously refer to having children, rather than the redefinition of it, simply saying that monoyenes means one and only or unique or something like that. For instance, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, in our English Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. Guess where that word generations comes from? Well, in English, it's a cognate of that. But in the Greek language, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 actually says, Vivlos Yenesios, Jesus Christu, Iu David, Iu Avraham. Now, what did that mean? Well, Vivlos Yenesios, literally the book, Vivlos, book, Yenesios, generations. That word Yenesios shares a common root with the word monogenes. In the next verse, the word for beget, guess what it also shares a common root with? The root for the word monogenes. So anyone who can actually functionally read Greek can look at the underlying Greek of these passages and know that these words are related. They come from the same terms. The phrase, only begotten Son of God, then, is not a mistranslation, but is quite literally what that Greek phrase translates into in the English language. 
What could be a takeaway at the close of today's broadcast after sharing all of that information with you? Number one, the phrase only begotten, the only begotten Son of God, is a beloved term that communicates the richness of the deity of the Son of God. It's a term that we don't need to change. In fact, we need to use it more. And number two, let's all be leery of our own delusions of grandeur, our ego of intellect, and the minds of so-called experts as they act in novelty in attempt to redefine things that we simply know to be true from the Word of God. I pray that your day is blessed and that you've enjoyed this broadcast. May we worship God's only begotten Son. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741 or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.